We're now going to uh, hear from God's Word. So uh, you can uh, carry on these conversations after. I'd like you to open up with me on Ruth chapter 2, which can be found on page 188. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields and behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, the Lord be with you. And the Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, who was, whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is the Moabitess who came from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaths behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the girls. I have, I have told the men not to touch you, and whenever you are thirsty, Go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though... I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them 
for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. She added, The man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth, the Moabitess, said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Now I'll read Romans 12, 19 to 13, which is a little shorter. Uh, so that's Ruth, uh, Romans 12, 9 to 13. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Let me uh, add my welcome. It's great that you're able to join us uh, this evening as we we come to give praise to God, but also uh, to meet and have him address us. Uh, We're picking up in Ruth, if you're uh, just new or missed us uh, last week. Um, Ruth 1, lots of excitement. It's not that long. I'm sure you can skim over and find out what happened. Uh, But most importantly, before we uh, begin, how about we pray that God might speak clearly to us. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we uh, thank you for your goodness and kindness. We thank you that uh, we see it in so many ways. Uh, We thank you uh, that in your word, uh, you enable us to know you. And by your spirit, you reshape us to be like you. Uh, Father, we pray that your spirit might be at work now as we hear your word and reflect upon it, uh, that you might enable us to live lives that please you, that you would uh, give to us a love of what you command, 
uh, and a delight in obedience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How would you know if God was being kind to you? So we're good at, uh, at spotting injustice, aren't we? We're quick at spotting that. Uh, I wasn't taught the cry, it's not fair. Uh, I didn't teach it to any of my children, and yet they've managed to learn it. You know, we, we, we just naturally see harsh treatment, don't we? But, but are we as able to recognize kindness? In Jeremiah 9, uh, God says, Let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. Now, God delights in kindness. And if it's his delight, we'd expect to see it, wouldn't we? So how would you recognize the kindness of God? For in many ways, uh, the book of Ruth is a book of kindness. Uh, in the opening chapter, Ruth is extravagantly kind. Uh, she clings to her destitute mother-in-law and stays with her. Uh, and yet Naomi was so consumed by bitterness, she could only see her emptiness. You know, what, what she lacked uh, overwhelmed the good that she had. And, and we all know, if you were here last week, we all know, we don't want to be her. We don't want to be consumed and overwhelmed in the way she was. And as the story rolls on, as we pick up episode two, the key question to have rattling in your mind is, is how do you recognize the kindness of God? It's a question that needs to be lingering in our mind, but, but the way the writer wants us to find the answer is, well, first of all, by looking at God's people. So like a well-structured play, uh, we move into the second act, the second episode. Uh, Naomi fades into the background. Ruth moves into center stage and then enters Boaz, the man of the moment. He is a man in verse 1 of great wealth and standing. Um, he is a man of fullness compared to Naomi's emptiness. Uh, he's from Elimelech's clan, so Naomi would have known him. And, and the episode is structured in such a way to kind of focus our attention, draw our attention into the conversation between two particular people on one particular day. The first time Ruth and Boaz meet. Uh, now the story, it does have action of sorts, but you know it's conversations that controls the pace. You might remember last week I, I told you, or perhaps warned you, uh, that this is a kind of Sunday night BBC period drama kind of uh, book, you know, uh, which may thrill some of us here and, you know, some of us are pining for a Bond flick or something like that. No, no, uh, there is action of sorts, but it's conversational action. You know, the, the chapter begins with a conversation between Ruth and Naomi, and then we go to a conversation between Boaz and his workers, and then Ruth and Boaz have this really long conversation, I suppose, from verse 8 to 14, and then we, we go back again, and Boaz speaks with his workmen again, and we finish where we started, Ruth and Naomi talking to each other. It's like the writer has put a, an arrow in the margin to point us into that central conversation. That's where he wants our attention. Uh, that's the key conversation. That's what, what it reveals uh, is, first of all, an outsider in Ruth seeking favor, trying to find kindness. And an insider, Boaz, willing to give it. Now, let's look at Ruth first. See, Ruth places herself as an outsider looking for favor, wanting kindness. See, before we can see the kindness of God, we have to see the need for it. Uh, and so in verse 2, she's introduced to us um, Ruth the Moabitess. You know, we, we aren't to forget she comes from an unloved, unwelcome people. Uh, if you don't know Moab's origins... 
they first came uh, out of an act of incest. Uh, a woman got her father drunk that she might become pregnant. Uh, centuries later, uh, from there, they'd grown into a nation, the Moabites, and they refused to help Israel when Israel were wandering as refugees, uh, fleeing Egypt. And the writer doesn't want us to forget the background Ruth herself is only too aware of. So in verse 10, did you notice how she describes herself? Foreigner. Now she's got no rights. Uh, and that's why she has gone, in her words, back in verse 2, to the fields to pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. You know, she says it again to Boaz in verse 10 and verse 13. She is looking for favour. She is looking for kindness, not justice. And there is something uh, wonderfully, beautifully refreshing about Ruth, isn't it? You know, she, she's uh, this woman who hasn't bought into the L'Oreal lie that she's worth it. You know, there's a, there's a humility about her that's perhaps lost on, on many people today. You know, yeah, she, she committed herself in chapter 1 to Naomi and she committed herself to Naomi's people and Naomi's God, but, but she understands what lots of people don't. You know, she understands that following God, throwing her lot in with him, is not doing God a favour. She's actually just coming asking for one. Yeah, and so quickly we forget that, don't we? Uh, self-righteousness is, is so deeply ingrained within us that we feel God should in some way be quite appreciative that we bothered to follow him. You know, hasn't he done well to get a follower like us? You know, that, that, that we get annoyed when we get the, the you know, dealt a rough hand at work because after all, we give up Sunday nights for God, don't we? You know, or, or we do that good deed and we expect that uh, God would have noticed and quickly repay it with another kind deed. We, we can't underestimate within us how deep the desire to be thanked and praised is. You know, perhaps you see that in yourself. You know, we'd all do well to remember uh, words of Richard Hooker. He said, We dare not call God to a reckoning as if we had him in our debt book. Our continual sweet to him is and must be to bear with our infirmities and pardon our offences. You know, Ruth is that model for us, isn't she? That you know, recognizing that she needs kindness. Before she's ever going to see the kindness of God, she has to recognize she's in deep need of favor and not coming with any great claims or tickets on herself. You know, Ruth, like us, is a refugee who has fled to comfort in God and the Lord Jesus without a claim. She's aware of that. So aware that she finds herself in verse 10, uh, bowed down on the ground, throwing herself uh, on the mercy of Boaz. And how does Boaz respond? Well, he looks uh, and he longs to include her. You know, he's a man of lavish kindness. He, he doesn't describe Ruth as an outsider, but as a woman of esteem. Uh, in verse 11 and 12, um, he overlooks her legal status. He praises how she'd given up her homeland, uh, how she'd given up her birth family that she might look after her mother-in-law. Uh, he praises the way that she'd worked so hard for Naomi. Uh, he'd heard in verse 7, he'd done a little research about her background, about her hard work, how, how she had arrived early at work, only took a, took a very quick morning tea break. Uh, Boash lavishes kindness on her, um, two particular ways he does it. First, he does it with his words. He's a man of kind, lavish words. He speaks to her inclusively. Uh, so the reapers, did you notice how they described her in verse 6? They simply call her the Moabites. You know, they just give her a title, a description to separate 
her from them. Just point out the distance. You know, so often um, we're tempted to do that, aren't we? To, to find people by how they're different rather than how they're similar, to, to alienate them. Uh, it's like, you know, Paul's away so we can say what we like. You know, like we, you know, if we referred to Paul all the time, it's just the POM. Oh, yeah, and the POM was over the other night. And, you know, you know there, there's something depersonalizing about that. You know, if you just refer to someone like that, but, you know, language is so powerful to do that. So we can be depersonalized to the point that we stop caring. I just think about the way we speak differently of people who come to our land. You know, expat professional. Refugee, boat people, queue jumpers. Language is powerful. The names, the descriptions we use. For those reapers, Ruth is just a nameless ethnic. Even Ruth sees herself just as a foreigner. What does Boaz do? He, he speaks to her and welcomes her in. He speaks of how she's, she's given up everything to take refuge in God's care. He speaks in, a way, in such a way to include and invite and esteem this woman who, who fell at, her, at his feet. Now, just as language can, can powerfully depersonalize and distance, it can also be powerful to give esteem and draw in. That's the kindness of language. Um, Colossians 4 encourages Christian people to have gracious conversation. Uh, people, you might know it's seasoned with salt and all that sort of thing. Uh, what's it on about? Well, you know, talking to, to one of my daughters the other day about why we don't uh, respond harshly to verbal bullies, why, why we don't choose to swear, why we don't uh, use crass language, uh, we came back to that passage. Now, why, we as Christian people use language graciously. That is, we speak in a way that is undeservingly kind to other people. We personalise the depersonalised. We, we value the individual in the way we speak. Uh, we speak of commonality with those who are different rather than speak of them in such a way that pushes them further. How is it that you describe the others at work, those neighbours of yours? That, do, do you invite them in? Do you speak in such a way with kindness to, the, to that colleague who has no right to a good word? Because yeah. that is Boaz, isn't he? He's an insider who speaks with lavish kindness. But of course, it's more than words. Uh, he, I suppose he lavishes his kindness even more in his actions. You know, God's law uh, called for people, his people, to care for aliens and strangers in their midst. Um, Exodus 23, verse 9. Do not oppress an alien. You yourselves know how it feels to be aliens because you are aliens in Egypt. See, Israel were a nation of refugees and that was supposed to shape them forever how they treated other people who came to them, to live among them. And now, of course, I know we just looked at Leviticus. Uh, if you were with us over the, the last few weeks, you, you'd, be, you know, you'd know Leviticus pretty much offhand, word for word, verse for verse. But just in case it slipped your mind, uh, there was a particular law, Leviticus 19, verse 9. Uh, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Now that was the law Ruth was, I suppose, taking advantage of. But isn't it the goodness of God's laws? They're not about restricting, uh, you know, not just restricting us doing evil. They're actually giving us the opportunity to love people. But Boaz isn't content with just the limit of the law. Look at the way he goes beyond it. The way he is so lavish. In verse 8, uh, he tells her, stay in my field together because you, know, you just can't know everyone else is going to treat you appropriately. 
Uh, and then he offers her water. That, that offer of water actually overturns convention. So the normal expectation, uh, the cultural expectation, is that uh, a foreign woman would be expected to go do her work all day long, and then she'll go and get the water to bring it to the Israelite men who've been working in the same field. But what does Boaz do? He spins it round. She is going to drink the water drawn by Israelite men. In 14 and 15, he invites Ruth over, come for a meal. Not a snack, come for a meal. You know, he is inviting her into his circle, his friendship. That's what it is when you invite someone over for a meal. You're saying, oh, I want to be friends with you. Uh, and, and if you look at the verse, uh, verse 14, the end of it, she ate it all, all she wanted, and still had some left over. It's an abundant provision. Um, but even that's not enough for Boaz. When the meal's over, special instructions to uh, his workmen, just quietly, verse 15, uh, as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Just pull some stalks for her out of the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. That is, don't just leave the extras that the law requires. I want you to pull some of the good stuff out and just kind of throw it in front of her. Leave her some good stuff. Don't pick her up for it. Uh, and the ephah of barley that he sends her home with in verse 17 is actually equivalent to a fortnight's wages. You're getting a picture of here as a man who, who understands the principle of the law of being an alien. Remember, you were once an alien. You were once a stranger. Treat people in the way that you would have liked. You know, he foreshadows the kind of open embrace that Jesus had when he showed um, hospitality to the undesirable. In his lifetime, Jesus was notorious for the kind of company he kept. And he even gave some advice for dinner parties. Don't often think of Jesus as a dinner party guru, but here's some advice for your next dinner party. Luke 14. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they might invite you back and you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, there's a, a model for dinner parties that uh, perhaps we don't get in our subscription to Donna Hay. You know, and that's the model that Jesus used for selecting people to his eternal banquet. You know, he died for his enemies. He died for the unlovable. Uh, and he expected those who were invited would actually adopt the same policy. You know, Acts 10, God does not show partiality. Yeah, and Boaz has gripped that truth well before Jesus' arrival, uh, and perhaps that's what we need to grip. You know, as citizens, um, are we known for our lavish kindness? You know, Australia is a nation of immigrants. Uh, whether you travelled here by plane quite recently or whether you have um, boat people heritage like mine going back to the first fleet, you know, whether it was one generation or ten ago, uh, we, we are so quick, though, to forget our refugee heritage. Uh, Villawood Detention Centre was described in 2008 by the Human Rights Commission as the worst facility it had ever seen. You know, does it stir us just a little? Because you know, just like every other nation and every other nationality, racism lurks. You know, there's that discomfort when... Uh, you know, signs in our streets aren't written in our language. You know, people on our buses don't speak our tongue. Uh, Neighbours don't celebrate our customs. You know, so quickly and easily racism slides in. The dislike and the pushing away of the outsider 
But what does Boaz do? He's lavishly welcoming them in. It's a great antidote, isn't it, to the, the racism that sneaks in us. What about as a church? Are we, are we known for our lavish kindness as a church? Is that how the community here know us? You know, Boaz is an insider in God's kingdom. Uh, he is welcoming someone who has taken refuge under the wings of the Lord, the God of Israel, the same God that we serve. You know, none of us are naturally insiders in God's kingdom. Uh, yep, we, we do have supper each week after church. Uh, it's fantastic. It's a great way for us to get to know each other. But, but you know, really, polite, pleasant conversation on Sundays is hardly a match for what he is doing here. I mean, there are some wonderful things. Don't get me wrong, wonderful things happening in our broader church community. Don't, you know, if you've never made a community lunch, you really should. Uh, coming up one in October 12th, Jane? Thanks. Beautiful. Uh, there are some, but, but there's a challenge to be lavish like that as a church, isn't there? I, I sat as a guest at a wedding table with a guy who is a, a pastor in the Campbelltown area. Uh, we, we were chatting, you know, a lot of hours to fill at a wedding reception. Uh, found out he and his wife had six kids. Uh, three of them were, were theirs and three were fostered. Uh, and one, one of, I suppose, the, the foster kids had in the past run away, gotten himself into massive trouble, uh, ended up in, in juvenile detention. Um, they chose to take him back in. Uh, alone, their humble building of relationships is just a great sign that Jesus is at work in their lives. Uh, but I was more struck when he told me that 90% of his church were involved in fostering kids. And I just thought, wow, there's a church of lavish kindness. As individuals, are we known for our kindness? Uh, 2 Peter 1 encourages us that we, that we can and we must add kindness to our faith. Um, it is possible. We can grow in it, which is quite encouraging because, to be honest, I find it intimidating uh, to think of this kind of, kind of level of kindness. Uh, but we can grow in it. Uh, you, you know, picking up from Boaz and Luke uh, 14, you know, maybe it's what we need to work on is our hospitality. Now, maybe that's what we need to express our kindness in. You know, that's what picked up in Romans 12, 13. Uh, the, the lavish kindness of biblical hospitality, being, being kind to people who can't repay you. You know, opening up your life to the people who aren't your friends uh, and treating them as family. Now, we, we need to be a little bit self-reflective and honest that, you know, having our friends around for, um, you know, a, a lovely meal once a week and then we go back to their place the following week that's, that's great and all sorts of fun and I'm all pro hanging out with your friends. But at the same time, we've just got to be honest, it's not hospitality. It's just hanging out with your friends, which is super and great. It's just not hospitality. Now, what hospitality is, is inviting the ones who's not your friend to create the possibility they might become it. You know, it's a, it's a profoundly subversive activity because what it does is destroy the normal barriers and social barriers that we choose to put up. You know, Boaz is an indiscriminate host. And that is what defines hospitality, not the food that gets served. Uh, Jesus sought friendship and fellowship with undeserving people that, that his holiness might in some way rub off on them. You know, our hospitality, is, it's, it's, not a, it's not a duty. It, it flows from a response that God has been so hospitable to us. You know, in the New Testament, uh, there are a couple of lists of requirements for, for elders, for older men who should be given positions of leadership. Uh, and in both of the lists, hospitality is there. Because uh, that kind of indiscriminate hospitality is not, not an extra to the gospel, but actually an essential part of it. 
um, hospitality is kindness in action. You know, some of us need to perhaps think more creatively about how we do hospitality. I'm aware that um, studio apartments don't make it easy to invite my family of seven over. You know, you, you do need to be creative in this kind of area. Uh, but I know of someone who um, regularly would buy a takeaway uh, and invites people to go and join uh, him for lunch in the park. You know, he's still shouting him a meal. He's still being hospitable. He just knows he can't fit him in. You know, there are other ways of opening our lives to people. And, you know, for some of us, we feel our lives so full already with our regular commitments, and I feel this acutely, uh, that we don't have time for that kind of hospitality, which is another way of saying we don't have time for being godly. In the story of Ruth and Boaz, what we see is that there's an outsider who sees her need to have a favour shown to her. She, she's seeking kindness. And we see an insider who is being outrageously kind. But there's one more thing we need to notice. You know, do you remember the question I asked you at the start to have rattling in your mind? Where do we see the kindness of God? Well, have you noticed it yet? See, the spotlight has been on Ruth and Boaz, but there's an unseen character who plays a vital role, a, a director behind the scenes. Uh, and if you read this chapter and you miss the unseen character, it would actually overlook the point. Um, so throughout the story, God is guiding the incidents. Uh, in verse 3, I mean, just look at the coincidence. She just happens to be in the fields of Boaz, who happens to be a relative of her father-in-law. Um, even more, Boaz just happens to turn up from, um, from Bethlehem on that day. Uh, in verse 20, hey, he just happens to be a kinsman redeemer. We'll hear more about that in you know, weeks to come. But wow, what an amazing thing. You know, the clincher, uh, though, is, is Ruth and Boaz's conversation in the, in the middle in 12 and 13. Boaz asks, may the Lord repay her for taking refuge in God. Uh, and what Ruth does in her reply, she shows, no, God has rewarded me through the comfort that Boaz, you have given. You know, the kindness of God, where do we see it? We see it in the kindness of his people. And when Naomi hears all this that, that has happened in verse 20, she says, The Lord bless him. Uh, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Um, the, the word used there for kindness is uh, a technical word for, for I suppose, um, committing yourself in a, a contractual loyalty, covenant loyalty, hesed kind of uh, kindness. It's, it's the way in which normally... Uh, God is spoken of of being kind to his people, being loyal to them, on and on and on. And it's used in the first chapter of the way Ruth clung to Naomi. You know, it's a kind of divine kindness. In verse 20, Naomi summarized Boaz's actions with that same kind of divine kindness. You know, it's the divine love of God she can see. At last, Naomi, if you remember her from last week, who was so embittered, that she couldn't see anything but her emptiness. At last she stopped. At last she's recognized the kindness of God. And she's seen it through what is quite really mundane. Uh, it's the actions of his people being kind. A couple of implications then for us. It, it means, thankfully, we have the privilege uh, of being conduits of God's kindness. Uh, about a decade ago, we lived in this uh, three-bedroom house about a block from Bondi Beach. It was the North Bondi end. Nice, nice spot. It's a short walk. Uh, it was a place we couldn't afford. Uh, but a Christian friend owned it and he charged us the same uh, price that we were paying for a small flat in Mortdale. Now, I mean, hey, Mortdale's fantastic. Uh, but, um, you know, there are a lot of people who think Bondi's a little better. You know, 
he could have got three or four times the price that he was charging us. But he wanted to help us out. He knew we needed to move to that area. That was God's provision through the kindness of one of his people. Uh, there was a time when we were uh, visiting Ireland before we, we moved over to, to live there. An older Christian couple um, graciously opened their home that we had a place to stay even though we'd never met them. And God's provision. Yeah, and, and we do get to see that in our church community, our broader church community, if we have eyes to look around. I know people who befriend those who are very difficult to become close to. You know, I, I know of people who have opened their home uh, to host strangers, strangers they actually met in the street and invited them into the home and gave them a place to stay for a bit of time. You know, we've got an expat community in you know, our suburb. Uh, and so unlike suburbia where you've got the same friends you know, when you're five to when you're 50 and you spend a whole lifetime together, we cycle through people. It's a kind of a lovely thing. We just need to recognize it and be honest and say we've got to always be welcoming outsiders into our circle again and again and again. And we, don't, you know, we grieve when they go, but hey, you know, praise God for the time we have with them. Let's welcome the next person. You know, we've got to keep opening that up. Uh, and I see people do that. I see God's provision, God's kindness. I see people in our church community taking up the privilege of being conduits of his kindness. I suppose that the second final implication is that, that our kindness then will ultimately lead to God's praise. You know, from you and from others. Uh, God has not set up the world and then run away. He hasn't forgotten. He's still intimately involved in all the, the kind of intricacies of life. You don't need to wait for the miraculous to see God. And his kindness. It's seen all around in the kindness of his mundane servants, like you and like me. Uh, as Jesus said, and as Dylan, uh, when he prayed earlier, uh, Matthew 5, neither do people uh, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your, sh your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and tell you how fantastic you are. No, no, no. No, they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. They see you, your good deeds and praise God. That's where it ultimately leads to. A friend shared a conversation he had with an unbeliever. Um, now, this unbeliever was, was unsure whether there was God, but he liked to think that there might be something more. Uh, and he admitted in it that he had a, a deep respect for, for Christians and their morals and the lives that they lived. Uh, and that's what actually kept him thinking there might be something more. You know, their small actions of goodness led to the praise of Father in heaven. Well, we hope ultimately this guy becomes a Christian. But, you know. When Christians live lives of kindness, the goodness of the Lord is proclaimed. And so what's something kind you've done recently? I don't ask you so that you can boast about yourself, but if you're a Christian person here tonight, that's the answer to the question I asked at the start. You know, how do we see the kindness of God? Well, by you being kind. What's something kind you've done recently? Now, what opportunity have you given for others to praise God for his kindness? You know, for that kindness is, is, I suppose, the sign of God's provision. It's the sign that you yourself have gone and taken refuge under his wings in the shadow of his cross. Why don't we pray that God might fill us with that kindness. Our Lord and Father, we thank you that you have been outrageously kind to us. Uh, we thank you that you invited us into uh, your family, into uh, your kingdom.
into your feast, even though we don't deserve a place. May we never forget it, and may that shape the way that we are kind to others. Uh, Father, may we be lavish in our kindness. Uh, Give us the strength and the courage to be kind in the way that you are, that you might ultimately be praised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.